on today's episode, why one PHT treatment doesn't work for everyone. Welcome to the podcast, helping you overcome your proximal hamstring tendinopathy. This podcast is designed to help you understand this condition, learn the most effective evidence-based treatments, and of course, bust the widespread misconceptions. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm an online physiotherapist, recreational athlete, creator of the Run Smarter series, and a chronic proximal hamstring tendinopathy battler. Whether you are an athlete or not, this podcast will educate and empower you in taking the right steps to overcome this horrible condition. So let's give you the right knowledge along with practical takeaways in today's lesson. I am in my echoey room at the moment. Um, Hopefully it's all right. I'm starting to put a few things up on the walls, but I've just moved house and this would be my treatment room slash podcast studio. And at the moment, it's just completely plain. So there's a lot of bouncing of sound waves and hopefully it's okay. Um, Today, I thought I'd do something a little bit differently. A few months ago on the Run Smarter podcast, I interviewed Alex Murray talking about evidence-based practice and why one treatment doesn't work for everyone, different diagnoses. And I thought I'd take snippets away from his interview and chime in every now and then um, just to see how it applies directly to PHT sufferers. And so there will be a little bit of back and forth. Hopefully I've edited it in a way that's a nice, smooth listening experience for you, but we'll delve straight into the intro and then Alex talking about himself. And then throughout the episode, I'll be chiming in and I'll most likely split this into two parts because Alex interview went for over an hour. And if I'm chiming in with some bits and pieces of myself, it might be best if I just split it into two and yeah, we'll um, get his take, get my take and just a whole bunch of value along the way. So let's dive in. Alex Murray is a podiatrist. He works in um, clinics in Canberra with the general population, but also with high performance athletes. Um, he'll delve into a second in a second about his um, SNC training and all that sort of stuff. Alex Murray is also a clinician who collaborates with Cause Health, who essentially just um, how to best understand the body when it's injured. In fact, Cause Health do have this book, and the title is Rethinking Causality, Complexity and evidence for the unique patient. And that's exactly what we delve into today. So we talk about, first of all, the assessment and diagnoses and why it is so complex and how the person as the individual factors into this because we know it's not a clear-cut, cookie-cutter process and it's not just one diagnosis label that everyone gets because everyone experiences it totally differently. It is a complex topic. Um, it might require you to listen a couple of times, but this is really important because I often see a lot of runners very confused about their diagnosis, confused about why they get different diagnoses or different explanations that might have caused their injury. And then they respond differently to different treatments and it just sparks a lot of confusion, a lot of anxiety, maybe a lot of just muddying the waters a lot. And we attempt to highlight that in today's episode and bring a lot of explanation and Alex does an excellent job of that. So I went to university in, in Victoria at La Trobe University. So that's where I did did my undergrad and Same. thought I'd just be, um, yeah, yeah, it's great, great university. And and uh, you just sort of leave thinking, yeah, I'm just going to go into a clinic, going to work really hard, help a lot of people. Um, 
but then, you know, you start to, to learn a lot more and you see there's a lot more opportunities open. So uh, I went and did a, I went, well, after graduating, I moved to Canberra. I worked uh, with a Olympic medical team podiatrist. So I worked in his clinic, gained a lot of experience. And then through that went, well, I don't think I know enough. Um, and went and did a postgrad uh, with the University of Otago. Uh, so there, so I did a sports and exercise medicine. Then after that, I went still probably don't don't know enough. So I then started um, started doing a lot of reading and and um, educating myself as much as I possibly could. And then I, then um, yeah, just people started asking me questions. So I eventually ended up sort of starting my own um, education. Uh, well, started with a blog, which is now turned into an education company called Podiatry Systems. Um, still wasn't feeling like I knew enough. So I went and did, um, my level one, uh, Australian strength and conditioning association, uh, accreditation. So I'm now a, a, also a strength and conditioning coach, and then I'm still not feeling like I know enough. So <laughs> I went, um, and started pestering, uh, the people at, uh, course health. Uh, so that's a research group in, in Norway. Um, I thought their ideas were very, very interesting and, um, yeah, ended up uh, partnering with them. So uh, now I, now we do a whole bunch of education around um, their thoughts and ideas about how pain, injury, um, things occur in the body. Okay. So um, when you were going through that, I guess, year by year and not feeling like you don't know enough, were you also seeing like maybe um, there's a higher level of education or better way to communicate to certain people, or you're just finding like missing gaps into how you were trying to explain things to patients. Like where did that curiosity generate from? I think there's always a, a curiosity uh, deep down to sort of really figure out how things work. Um, you know, if I'm going to provide a treatment, if I'm going to, you know, provide a diagnosis, I'm going to do anything to someone. I want to know that I'm doing the right thing and that I'm not missing anything. And so there's just, there's so much to know and you're just like, I just want to know as much as I possibly can to do the best job I can. And I guess what, what I sort of realized, and, and this is sort of um, where sort of cause health came in is that it really sort of challenged this idea that, that we know everything and it actually sort of cause health's work really sort of challenges a lot of the assumptions that we take uh, into our understanding of the human body and our role as clinicians and, and what exactly that we do. So we always used to think that, you know, there was a cause, a complete cause and effect. There was one thing that we'd find. Um, and if we just knew what that is and we could diagnose that, and we could get rid of it, everything would, would be okay. And it's a little bit more complicated than that. So yeah, it, it, that's sort of where I ended up at, at the end of the road is sort of realizing you can't know everything, but you also don't need to. It's, it's, we've got to challenge the way that we look at the human body. And that's sort of where we find the best answers and the things to keep people, you know, running, moving, jumping, injury free is sort of when we sort of let go of this. Um, and you see the things all the time. There's this one trick that, that will solve all your problems. It's like, it's a lot more complicated that. And if we understand a bit more nuance, we throw away some, some ideas that we know are no longer useful. We can, uh, we can do a lot better. Okay. I'm trying to put myself in the mind of someone who hasn't been trained in health science and mm -hmm. they think that, okay, plantar fasciitis is plantar fasciitis. Like um, patellofemoral pain is patellofemoral pain. It's the, it's one diagnosis, it's one kind of presentation and there should be, um, okay, I have this, what should I do for treatment? So if we're talking about cause health, causality and around about the, the topic of, okay, I have this diagnosis, therefore let's just follow the, there should be like one cause for this one diagnosis. So let's follow this 
treatment path. Um, how would you explain to a patient the causality, the complex nature of causality and why there isn't just one, one cause to one injury? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good question. I think what, what one of the assumptions that we have is you hit um, straight away was that, you know, we're looking at if you have one injury, one process, one, something happen that there's a direct um, cause to it. So something that that has, so it sort of goes from this, then this, then that. So there's always just a direct relationship. So a good example, uh, well, cause there's lots of actual examples where that's the case um, or that it appears to be the case. I would say, so let's say that you, you know, trip over and you twist your ankle and you break, you break your, your, your ankle and you kind of go, well, yeah, that, that was a direct cause between I tripped, I fell, and it was actually the fall that physically broke my ankle. And, and you can't argue with that. That is the major event. But when we dig a little deeper, we start to go, well, what's the difference between, let's say, a little old lady twisting her ankle and breaking it and an elite athlete running um, down, let's say, a rugby, uh, a rugby field and accidentally twisting her ankle and breaking, breaking it? And we start to realize that there's a little bit more going on that leads into that. So for the little old lady, it might be the fact that poor vision, um, low muscle strength, um, she's got a lot of um, bone mineral density issues. So she's more prone to breaking her ankles. So a smaller force uh, would actually cause it to break rather than a larger force. Um, so we start to sort of pile on a lot of these sort of things that go, these are all the things that led up to that ankle twisting and then breaking and then when we look at the the elite athlete it's it's a case of well actually they might were they overtraining were they um fatigued and that sort of led to the misstep was there something happening on the field that made them that took their attention away from where they were placing their feet was there actually someone that they tripped over so did someone actually try and tackle them clip them a little bit and that's what caused them to then twist their ankle so if we're thinking about understanding how an injury occurs and therefore how to prevent it, we start to see there's a little bit more going on. And so we, we know this in, in uh, ACL research is probably the, the best one is that we see depending on the sport and depending upon the individual, there's lots of different factors that go into why someone injures their ACL. And therefore, if we want to prevent it, it has to be sport and individual um, treatments. It can't be that one thing. So if someone's going, I have, you know, patellofemoral pain, I have plantar fasciitis, they have this specific diagnosis. There are specific, th specific things that we can say that we can follow through um, in that sort of cause and effect. So overtraining is a sort of a classic one. Um, there are some things that we can identify and say, this is the thing that you need to change um, to either get better or to stop this happening in the future. But it's not a blanket uh, thing that we can say for everyone um we can't just say well if you have this pain then it's always about overtraining or if you have this pain it's always about a lack of strength there's many different ways that injury occurs so the example i often give as well as a bit more uh outside of sport is is a match um if you take a box of matches and you light the match you would expect the match to light up uh and then you do that again in another scenario and it doesn't light up and you go well hold on a second i struck the match that's that sort of event that you're seeing of twisting the ankle or landing funny and doing the acl but realistically there's a lot of other things going on um there's oxygen in the air there's the fact that your matches and the the flint are dry um so those are the sorts of things that we just assume um are the same but they're not 
And so if you're going to try and light a match in one scenario, you have to take into account things you can control, which is going to be, did you keep the match box dry? But there's also, and this is sort of where we get to with course health as work, is that they, they kind of look at and they say, there's going to be some things we can't control. Um, there's going to be some things like, is there enough oxygen in the air? We can't often change that. And so when we, we sort of translate that to a sport environment, there are going to be things that we can't change. And by doing any sort of exercise or activity, there is a risk involved that we can't control. And I think there's that level of an uncertainty that that adds, which we're not really comfortable with. Uh, and I definitely wasn't comfortable with as a, as a clinician, all of a sudden, you know, you want to know how everything and you want to prevent everything, but really there's an inherent risk and we have to sort of get a little bit better at tolerating that. And that's more of a cultural issue because we're sort of sold when we're in a culture and we can control everything when in reality, it's an illusion of control. That being said, it's not a case of, oh, well, you're going to get injured off, off you know, throw caution to the wind. There's definitely lots of things that we can do that um, aren't always addressing cause and effect. So it's not always a case of, oh, you know, you're at risk of this injury um, and here's the things that we can't control. Therefore, you know, what, what are we doing? It's a case of, well, actually, there's a lot of other things that might have nothing specifically to do with that injury. For ex And this is where strength training sort of often comes in. So we say it's, it's not a perfect injury prevention. It's not a perfect treatment. It's sort of this in-between where we go, you know, we can't control if someone's going to, you know, come out of left field and tackle the rugby player. We can't control um, always um, when we're thinking about running, specifically the tracks were always going to be able to run on the fatigue are, you know, for having a bad night's sleep, but we still need to run. But what we can do is do things like get you stronger, um, train in, in, in a certain way that builds your capacity. So you have more tolerance for when these things that we can't control occur. Okay. I forgot to mention at the start, you might notice that my microphone is a bit um, jittery and I had a very bad microphone audio quality type of day. Um, but nonetheless, you can still understand. I don't talk a lot in this interview, so um, bear with me for that one. But when Alex is talking about this particular topic and talking about like the nuances of someone, say, developing PHT, we're not necessarily looking for one cause or one presentation and not everyone fits into one specific um, treatment path or diagnosis path or causation path because everyone's completely different and there's many reasons why PHT can occur. You could be overdoing your running, uh, which I see a lot. You could, people could just keep the same amount of running and just change the amount of sitting that they have. There might be an elite triathlete to get PHT. There might be a, a runner's, a master's runner with PHT. There might be someone who just likes to bike ride on weekends, eventually develop PHG for whatever particular reason, because there's so many different populations, so many different reasons, so many different causes of PHG developing. There may be um, different deficits or different reasons. Therefore, the treatment needs to be completely different. So deficits at play, um, like discrepancies or factors that might eventually lead to PHT. You might be looking purely at a capacity point of view. Maybe you've increased the capacity of that tendon during a particular exercise, or maybe you've just changed your sitting posture and there's been no, um, 
no change to the capacity of the tendon. Maybe your running technique is different from another runner. Maybe your bike posture has put you in a position where that tendon is a bit more under compression and under high load during compression. And so with this really unique presentation, because everything's so multidimensional, um, you can see now that when someone puts on to say a Facebook group, I have PHT because of this and what has helped you. And some people say, you know, sitting posture really helped me. Changing my seat, sitting surface really helped me. Changing my running technique really helped me. Whereas you might try those things and see no benefit or um, see very little benefit or it might make it worse. Who knows? It's just because there are so many different facets at play, um, which is where we'll delve into further into this topic, further into this interview. So let's dive in a bit further with my conversation with Alex. If I am putting my clinician hat on now, I remember when I was working in clinics, when I'd have someone who is injured and comes in, it was almost like my job to find the cause. It was almost my job to try and fit this pattern and it all to make sense. And then once I did that, I was trying to like, um, fit all these pieces. And if I could find some sort of connection there, then I've done my job because like reassured the, the runner, this is because you've done this and therefore you feel this way. Therefore this is how we should place or how we should position our treatment. Um, should we be okay with um, not understanding all the complexities and just moving forward through treatment? Like, is there any dangers in not finding a cause? Yeah. So there's, there's a few things. Um, I think when, uh, and especially cause I try and teach this to clinicians and it's, it's hard because there's also like, there's a lot of these sort of fears. And I think some of them are very well-founded in the sense that, so if someone comes in, there are things that you can't miss as a clinician that you should be very, very well aware of what we call red flags. So things that indicate a serious pathology might be present, things you can't miss. So um, that's number one. So when someone's coming in and we're not giving, uh, you know, I, I'm not always communicating a diagnosis or not being very firm in exactly what we think it is, we've, we should have gone through the process um, of saying, no, but it's definitely not these serious things or it's not sounding like this. And if I have an inkling and I'm seeing a pattern of these factors, I will be referring for imaging or I will be referring for a special, uh, for a second opinion to go, this needs to be checked first. It's generally when we're looking at um, more of these sort of, you know, chronic or sort of slow onset sort of injuries. So things that are involved with the trauma. Um, so yeah, non-traumatic injuries that we sort of look at and we can go, well, they're slow onset. They're not serious. These are the sorts of ones that where there's a lot more complexity going. But I think there's also this sort of misnomer of, oh, we're not doing your job or, you know, this, this clinician hasn't done their job. Um, when really the flip side of understanding this is that number one, we get so many different ways. Well, when we understand the human body, there's so many different ways to get an injury. You, there's also by that same token, so many ways to get better. So there's not one pathway. So coming in all of a sudden is very freeing for me because I can go, well, um, you know, this person has overtrained um, and they've developed this injury. That's what I'm sort of getting a picture of or understanding a pattern. And so how do we get this person potentially? Well, I, I think at least at the start, one of the things we should try is um, more recovery 
Um, but how do we keep that person fit? And so we could do just reduce the volume. We could reduce the intensity. We could um, just um, cut out maybe one run and swap it for another activity. I can work with the athlete to then go, how can we keep your fitness up? How can we do all of this, but, but take load off this tissue? We can gait retrain. We can, you know, get them in the gym and doing, you know, changing their gym exercises. So they don't, for example, patellar femoral pain. There's a bunch of exercises that don't put as much patellar compression on. And we, I can work with someone and go, well, you know, it's not the fact that you are broken and we need to completely rest this or um, not broken and you just need to keep going as usual. It's a case of, well, I can work with you to figure out what's the plan that's going to work for you specifically based upon this idea of I've just got to maybe figure out which one I think is going to work, um, you know, for you or and for your condition. So volume, intensity, frequency, all of these sorts of uh, parameters that I get to change your run or your gym session with, as well as specific therapies as well. So the telephemoral payment might be strengthening and orthotics for plantar fasciitis. It might be stretching and taping. You know, there's, there's a lot of other things that we can do um, or there's things that we know that will directly help it. I think the other sort of thing is to say, though, you know, when we, especially with clinicians, they sort of go, well, so is, you know, is all bets off. Can we, can we do anything? And it's like, no, 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 no. There's also patterns. And, the idea is that we know that when someone comes in, um, in a certain age group, in a certain sort of uh, sport, uh, with a certain condition, that there's generally patterns of things that we see um, and patterns as well for management. So if we're thinking about an adolescent with patellofemoral pain syndrome, uh, taping and some reassurance might be enough because we know that it, it's potentially to do with more growth. When we see someone who's an adult, they're running heaps and they're not strength training at all. It might be a combination of pulling back the running for a bit, strength training, a bit of gait retraining to help keep them running and then build it back up. So immediately we, we can see these patterns that we can, that we can use. And then we can sort of use that, that understanding to customize. So I think this sort of approach is, very freeing and very, very helpful because it would absolutely suck if you were a runner. And, and I see this a lot. People come in, they go, you're going to tell me to stop running. And I go, I don't need to. I've got all of this lovely, wonderful stuff, these knobs and dials that I can adjust to help you. And here's the thing is that if I do all of that and then I go and you come back and go, it's a bit better, but it's not great. I've then got all this information about you and your response to that initial treatment. And then I can use that to help adjust my differential diagnosis. So what I think's going on, and I can use that to adjust how I do my treatment rather than cookie cutter. Here's your orthotic. Here's your taping. Here's your stretching. It didn't work great. So now you have to stop running or now you have to do this. And it's a case of, well, you know, every study tells us everyone is different. Everyone responds differently. We just average it all out. Uh, and say, this is the result because we like one number. Um, but realistically, when we look at any sort of study, we see everyone's response different and we don't exactly have enough research to understand why their results are different. And that doesn't mean we can't look at our athlete, our, our patient as an individual and they say, this is how I responded. And we go, okay, let's take that into, into account and, and figure out. So sometimes it will take me three, four sessions before I'm really confident exactly what's going on. But each step of the way that I know there's something that I can do and there's something that I should be trying. And there's something that I can be doing that, that, that can work for that person. And if it doesn't work, it allows me to understand them and make a treatment plan that does. All right, let's unpack this one. So now we're 
previously we talked about like the assessment or the cause of PHT, There's so many individual factors or the unique presentation. And now we're sort of shifting towards treatment and why treatment doesn't work for, why one treatment doesn't work for everyone is because it's just so nuanced. And Alex does talk about how we need to tailor our treatment based on all of these individual factors that we've found or that we've come to a conclusion based on the assessment, based on perhaps two, three, four treatment sessions um, just to see how someone responds. And so just to, I guess, summarize, it'd be that the little bit, there's little bits that we can do, which is like a stock standard treatment PHT. You know, if someone is really flared up, someone is really sensitive, irritable, then we want to really limit their sitting. In most cases, we really want to limit like high demands on that tendon in most cases. And then if we look at like, say the research, just starting some sort of loading, maybe starting some isometrics, that level one strength um, protocol will work for most people. That's like your stock standard, but then we're taking individual factors and trying to add in effectiveness based on them as a person, based on their unique presentation. And so if they're a triathlete, maybe there's something that we can do with their swimming so they can still stay active. Or maybe if they're just like a master's runner, maybe it's changing their terrain or their speed or their technique, changing their cadence just to try and um, increase the effectiveness of this particular, um, maybe it's just changing their sitting strategy. Sometimes I have people maintain their whole entire external workload with their training, but they just change their sitting and that's enough to tick them over the edge towards recovery. And I really like when Alex talks about this adjusting the treatment dials, because then we're just using trial and error to see what the effectiveness is. So you can establish a management plan with a whole bunch of components. Maybe there's some strength, some sitting modifications, some exercise modifications, and then just general advice around sleeping, around how they negotiate work, looking after kids, those sort of things, just tailored to the individual. And then we just wait and see. This is the trial and error component and seeing how the flare up or how symptoms respond, and then just adjusting the dials based on how you're responding. Because we're not too sure. It's a guessing game. It's an educated guess, but it's still a guessing game to see how someone will respond. And we know the multi-directional, um, the multi-factorial pieces of pain because sometimes emotions, sometimes stress, sometimes sleep might be involved as well. But it's just testing it out, seeing how it is, and then adjusting those dials based on how you're feeling, based on your response. And so that's... Um, a really nice way of summing up PHT and the uniqueness of it. And I guess understanding why one treatment might work really well for someone and just might have a very mild effect for another. If Well, it can be very freeing, like you were saying. And I know positioning myself as a runner, if someone's injured, they're hoping for to go to a clinician and they say, this is the cause of your injury. It's because you changed your footwear too abruptly. Now you have this pain or you've overdone it. You've um, increased your running mileage too abruptly. This is why you're injured. This is your diagnosis. This is the treatment. Like it'd be nice if everyone could fit into that and everyone would be nice and reassured. They say, yes, I've got the plan. I know all the answers. Um, this is what I need to do, but that's not what happens. That's not how life works, but, and what, confuses runners is if they see multiple clinicians, there's 
different answers. People say, oh, no, you have knee pain because your footwear. Oh, no, you have knee pain because you're changing mileage. Oh, no, you have foot pain or you have knee pain because your quads are too tight, your ITB is too tight, you have weakness, tightness in all these different muscles and you get a whole bunch of different opinions from different conditions which um, muddies the water. And then you're like, well, if no one if no one can really give me a straight answer, how do we know what to do for treatment? But what you're saying is it's actually quite freeing because yes, there are so many complexities to the cause and so many different conditions can make those connections. But the treatment can be quite freeing because there is a lot we can do no matter what the cause was. There's a lot that we can do that you can um, just, like you say, adjust those knobs, turn the dials and see how you fare with that management plan. And if you're faring quite well, then we know what we're doing is working and we just keep moving forward. So um, I guess it kind of highlights that it is freeing that we don't necessarily need to know the exact causes or the links between what's generated injury. We can follow patterns. We can follow um, you know, patterns that we see time in, time out through um, being clinician for years and years. But we can also kind of fit a pattern around symptoms around how they respond to treatment and if they respond well through the like a little bit of strengthening then more strengthening and progressing that strengthening should be able to you know follow that rehab path um would you agree with that would you say that that's the um i guess the reassuring side of things or the freeing side of things when it comes to treatment yeah i i i would agree i guess the thing is though when i think about it there's still a lot of people that will come to see me and still have that experience of they come in and they've told me the whole story. And, and so really what, what, what I'm giving and sort of what I'm talking about is really sort of a look under the hood of how I think how um, we know the research is telling us clinicians should operate. But there's lots of people that come in and I ask all the questions, I do all the things, and I'm putting this all together in my head. And, you know, there's lots of patients that will go, look, what do I do? And, you know, not everyone wants to know under the hood. Not everyone needs to know under the hood is, is really the thing that we actually know from research. You know, there was a lot of research of understanding pain and there was this whole thought of, ah, if we understand pain, if everyone understands pain, then it's going to be really helpful. And the answer was not really. Um, so there are still lots of people that come in that we ask all these questions that we set everything up and this is the map I'm, I'm putting in my head. But then, you know, when it comes down, comes to the crunch, we say, okay, so they say, what am I going to do? I'm leaving here now. I need a plan. We write down, okay, what we're going to do to start with is we're going to change your shoes. Now, nice and simple. You need a new pair of shoes. Here's the shoes that we're going to get that I think are going to be better. Here's how you're going to wear them in. Here is your running plan. You know, now the, here's what the adjustments that you're going to make. And then here's your new gym program that we're going to start. So people sort of still do leave with a plan. And it's, it's, I think that's the, the misunderstanding when we start adopting this is that we can still go in with a problem, still go in and get a diagnosis. And we say, well, look, I, I think it's, first of all, I don't think it's bad. Second of all, um, so it's not a serious pathology. But second, I'm pretty sure it's, you know, patellofemoral pain syndrome as, as, as a, you know, really common example. And from what you've told me about all your training and all these things, these are the, the patterns that I know. And here's where I think we're going to start. So that people get the same experience um, or can get the same experience. And it's, it's more when we start to really talk about this is, uh, and sort of introduce these ideas and where I start to explain to patients is usually when they come in and they've seen multiple clinicians and they go, which one of these, what am I supposed to do? And I sort of um, do the, you know, you know, why not, why is it not all of them? Why is it not both? 
um, you know, is it my glutes? Is it my this? Is it my that? And it's like, well, it could be all of these are contributing. We've just got to figure out what we're doing because doing one at a time is not enough or, or just addressing one at a time. We might need to have a more detailed plan for your specific injury. And we yeah. might, you know, in some cases when things persist, we might need to look outside of that specific area as well. We might look at sleep. We might look at diet. We might look at, you know, do, you know, some people we have to have the hard chat and say, well, look, you know, you're trying to fit in this much running and this much gym with this work, you know, that's taking up your life with this much stress, with this much sort of family sort of stuff going on. There's a level of, you know, is your body able to recover enough? from everything that you were doing. And sometimes we, we have that discussion because we know you might be doing everything correctly. And this is, you know, when we talk about, you know, this understanding of complexity, the environment that we're in, all of these factors outside exactly what's happening. And it might just be the fact that they're just not, you know, doing everything normally and can't just not re- able to recover because of stress, all these sorts of things affecting their life. And that's probably something that I see a lot um, with, well, a lot for people who come in confused because they go, I've done everything like I normally done. Now I've got an injury and we sort of go, well, what else has changed in your life? And it's like, I've got a stressful job, you know, now I've got a kid, now I've got a family, now I've got a dog, now I've got a mortgage. Um, And all of these things are stressful, but the training remained constant. And it's like, well, your training needs to change because of all of these other things that are going on now not to freak sort of anyone out, you know, because that's out of the percentage of runners um, that I see, how many of those people do I have to have that hard chat with? Thankfully, not many, but it's in the back of our, back of my mind that, you know, that's the sorts of things that I think about that if someone isn't spending time recovering um, and they can't change it, that's how I'm setting my plans. That's how I'm thinking about one doing what on what day. So that's in the back of my mind. That's a thought process that I'm having. And that's sort of the problem when we get cookie cutter plans and clinicians that aren't thinking about that. And, 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 you know, we aren't educating us to say, these are the questions that you should be asking to determine if your clinician is doing it or not. Um, yeah, that's, that's what's sort of going in under the hood. And so it sort of can help people. I think if people understand and they want to know a bit more what's going on under the hood, that that's can be quite helpful. It's sort of, getting over those common misconceptions and ideas or, or issues. Okay. I thought I'd just chime in here just to make it a little bit clear or at least give my thoughts on this particular topic, because there's been, I guess people, especially when PHT has been carrying on for a long period of time, they see multiple different health professionals, see multiple different of the same health professional and they just try different things to get multiple treatments and they say, oh, has anyone looked at your running technique? Let's do this. Or, oh, has anyone assessed your running shoes? Let's do this. And you're not getting better because you're not addressing X, Y, Z. And a lot of people, a lot of people with PHT, especially chronic PHT, they come to me um, like on social media and they say, I have tried everything and nothing helps. And they get the sense that they've tried everything because they've been to so many different health professionals or specialists or surgeons, doctors, a whole bunch of range of professionals who have all had their little take, had their little um, piece of advice, piece of wisdom of this is the treatment you should go with. And then nothing and nothing long-term comes of it. And so it creates that dread. It creates that sense of like, I've just continue trying everything and nothing helps. 
But I feel like with this particular conversation and this topic, you shouldn't really be fearful of someone who introduces like these different treatments and doesn't work because we understand that we're just trying new things over and over again. And there is so many different approaches that you can take. And this is just another approach. If you do it correctly, um, just identifying, okay, we just haven't got to the crux of what will then turn into uh, a long-term recovery plan. So it's just trying new things and so many different options are out there for you. And if you just continue exploring the nuances within your life, continue exploring the individual factors within the specific injury, um, really try and find someone who really gets every asset, every aspect of your life and trying to identify, okay, why isn't this getting better? Is it the stress? Is it the sleep? Is it your fears, doubts, and beliefs about this particular injury? And just really trying to um, hone in on a lot of those things and try a whole bunch of those things. And I think it's worth just knowing that you can keep trying until you get it right. I know we've had... um, Ted Charnitsky on in the past who's had it he had PhD for a decade and was just constantly trying different things until he found something that worked and then he continued doing more of that thing that worked and had a resounding success and so this is where um, this particular conversation can have can enlighten a lot of people and get rid of a lot of fears and those doubts okay well uh, let me pose this one to you mm-hmm. how important is a diagnosis, how important is having that label for the clinician and also for the runner coming in with pain and knowing that there's multiple things that could lead to this pain presentation they currently have, how important is it that they have a label attached to it? For a clinician, um, I don't think it's incredibly important. There's, there's a lot of research and a lot of papers sort of showing that um, when we have a diagnosis, it doesn't actually tell us a lot about recovery. It doesn't tell us a lot about exactly how to treat it. Um, a diagnosis is essentially a pattern of um, uh, a pattern of symptoms and things that we know consistently uh, match with this type of injury. Um, and you know, we've even got a lot of sort of studies showing that that imaging in, in certain circumstances is not incredibly reliable. Um, so we see lots of tissue changes that. Uh, can occur quite naturally, you know, sort of like a slight bearing down of a tire or a, uh, you know, bark on a tree. They're, they're things that we expect to see of some of people of certain ages and, and certain histories and certain sports. So for a clinician, it's not always incredibly important for me to have a diagnosis if I'm doing my due diligence, I'm ruling things in and out because there are some times where a diagnosis is incredibly important. For patients, I think it's, I, I do think it's important to communicate a diagnosis um, just simply because it's helpful. I mean, number one, we're taught, go in and get a diagnosis. It's, it's illustrating that we've done a thought process. It's illustrating that we are thinking about it. And often we will reach a differential diagnosis. The difference is between me and potentially someone else is that I don't hang my hat on it and I don't make all my decisions based on that diagnosis. So I'll still have one. Um, and, and I still do communicate and I go, you know, I, but I'm, I'm not committed to it. I'm not saying that this is what it is because if I get new information, I want to be able to go, well, actually, I think, I don't think the diagnosis fits anymore now that I've got this new information. Cause I, I, my, my appointments are one hour for an initial. So they're quite long for, um, 
compared to, to many others. But even then I've only got an hour with you. You know, I don't, I'm not able to get all this information that I can be 100% certain, but I have enough information that, that I will tell people, well, it's definitely not something incredibly serious. That's not what I'm suspicious of. Or if I am, you're off for a scan or you're off for a second opinion. Um, but this is sort of where I'm thinking it's coming from. This is sort of what I'm thinking it is. And here's all of these sort of things that we're going to do to sort of test my hypothesis. Um, and at the same time, if it's helpful, then you've, we've started your treatment journey. If it's not helpful, um, we, we go back, we have a chat about you know what happened and why, and we figure out, is this a um, response that tells me uh, you know, my, I might've been wrong. Um, and I've got this more information to update my diagnosis or does it tell me that, okay, no, this is, this does sound like the diagnosis. I've seen this before. It's just that this treatment is, or this management sort of strategy is not working for you. And we're going to, we're going to workshop that. Yeah. I like how you say that a diagnosis, all a diagnosis is just a, a pattern of symptoms, a collection of symptoms that sort of fit the mold. And I was talking to, in Griffiths last week around um, plantar fasciitis and saying like, I've seen so many before, but not all are the same. Like you can get that pain under the heel, but, and you can say, okay, I'm quite confident this is plantar fasciitis, but then there's some other things like there's 10 to 20% of symptoms that just don't make sense. It's like, oh, but I also get like burning or like radiating symptoms further up the shin or like further down to the toes, which isn't that classic. And you're like, okay, well, most of, what you're describing seems to be plantar fasciitis, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that doesn't really fit the pattern. So well, diagnosis wise, like we can say it's plantar fasciitis, but who knows how you respond to a classic plantar fasciitis treatment. So, so levels of severities and like durations, and like you say, dealing with the individual themselves, dealing with stresses, dealing with diet, dealing with sleep, all this sort of, factors just get thrown in to create a totally different presentation. And what we, we know, I've done several episodes on pain science before, someone's experience, someone's interpretation, someone's alertness, hypervigilance towards a certain injury can just create a different pain experience like to, you know, more widespread or more severe or more irritable. So it just becomes super, super tricky. And when we're talking about, treatment after that we have to take in all of those factors um so that the the plan is just molding to the individual rather than the rather than that little sort of thing okay last little chime in here before we finish up part one um talk about like the diagnosis and label um some people with pht sometimes they can have cytic nerve involvement sometimes they can have like a tear at the attachment sometimes you can have glute muscle involvement like there's just a mix of symptoms some people can have a purely 100% pht some people can have pht with like 10% nerve involvement some can have pht with 50% nerve involvement it's just really tricky so when it comes to a diagnosis while pht as the label is um the kind of what people hold on to the treatment might be extremely different or the symptoms themselves might be extremely different and if you talk to you know 10 people with pht some people complain of like symptoms radiating down into the hamstring muscle belly or some people have dull pain some people have sharp pain and where this diagnosis and label 
um, discussion is important is because previously when we discussed like a whole bunch of different treatments, um, a, a label and a diagnosis isn't that important as long as you are responding to treatment. And if you're not responding to treatment, then circumstances need to change. Management plans need to change. And so a lot of times um, someone may be, I, I may say, okay, you have PHT, but there's a few other symptoms like 10%, 20% of symptoms that we just don't know why they're going on. However, let's treat it like PHT and let's see how things go. Uh, if things don't respond or things respond quite well initially and then plateau out and we don't see that much improvements after that, then we might say, okay, let's continue that, but let's add in something else. Maybe we add in some treatment modalities to help with nerve issues. Maybe we do some nerve flossing type of exercises um, and see if that helps treatment. So we're using a management plan to evaluate a diagnosis in the same way. And we're not just fixated on the diagnosis and the label at the start. We're just depending on management, depending on symptoms, continue like reiterating, continue modifying, continue taking things out, adding things in to, to provide the most effective thing for you. This sums up part one. We're going to do a very, very similar thing, continue our conversation with Alex in part two. So I'm looking forward to bringing you that next week. Thanks once again for listening and taking control of your rehab. If you are a runner and love learning through the podcast format, then go ahead and check out the Run Smarter podcast hosted by me. I'll include the link along with all the other links mentioned today in the show notes. So open up your device, click on the show description, and all the links will be there waiting for you. Congratulations on paving your way forward towards an empowering, pain-free future. And remember, knowledge is power. Oh,